to build, what to build. Oh, come on, Lucy. Wow, you're a builder. You're a maker. You're a... <gasps> I got it! Tool call. Hammer. Hammer. Wrench. Wrench. Drill. Drill. Great job, Kapow. Great job, Kapow. Oh, no, wait, that's me. Great job, Lucy Wow. Oh, brother. Now all we have to do is turn this thing on. Let the show begin. Oh, hi there. It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat, beaming into your ears all the way from Pflugerville. You might know me as Lucy Wow's sidekick, or you might know me as the inventor of Pygmy Polish, the special polish designed to keep the mechanical pygmy goats in your life as shiny as the day they were invented. In fact, I just got a pre-podcast polish myself, and I'm so shiny, I bet you can hear it. Even if you can't hear my shine, you're gonna be happy you tuned in today because today's inventor was a master of fun. He didn't just change the world, he made the world put its hands in the air and scream. That's right, today's inventor, Lamarcus Thompson, also known as the father of gravity is the man who brought the world roller coasters. So step right up and strap into this episode of Kapow's Power of Invention. The first roller coaster was created in Russia in the 1700s by Empress Catherine the Great. Before her greatness, they only had things called ice slides. Ice slides were where people would climb a 70-foot wooden tower, sit on a sled, and then go a whooshing down a 600-foot ice ramp. <laughs> Whee! These slides were super fun, but they only worked in the winter and when it was cold and icy. Well, for Empress Catherine, that wasn't enough. She had a need for year-round speed. So she came up with the idea of putting wheels, or rollers, on the sleds and adding grooves to the tracks so that the sleds at her palace could coast year round. Oh. Her new roller coaster was so fun that soon other royals around Europe started building them. Now, Lamarcus Thompson was a long way from royal. He was born the eighth of 10 children in a family of poor farmers in America. As a teenager, he learned carpentry, which is working with wood. And this brought out a talent for inventing in him. Soon, he was designing new and improved ox carts, wagons, and carriages. And people were buying them as fast as he could make them. With the money he made, he decided to start a company. But I guess he was tired of making wooden table legs because his new company made human women's legwear or hosiery. He called it the Eagle Knitting Company, and it made a fortune. I guess socks are more than just a tasty breakfast after all. With his newfound wealth, Lamarcus decided it was time for vacation. So he got on a train to see America. His travels took him to Eastern Pennsylvania, where a train had been turned into a tourist attraction. 
This train was out in the middle of nowhere where it had its own 18-mile track that was mostly downhill and ended with a 2,300-foot-long, 665-foot-high drop. The train carried one and a half tons of coal so that gravity would pull it down the hill at 50 miles per hour. This coal was then taken off the train and brought back up to the top of the track by mules. It was a slow process, muling all that coal up the hill, but people were happy to wait in order to experience the thrill. Tourists came by the thousands to ride this train every year. And among the thousands who paid 75 cents to take this ride was LaMarcus. LaMarcus loved the ride, but he thought it could be done better without the coal or the mules in a city where people would be able to ride it. So he rushed back home and started building his own train ride. His ride opened at Coney Island in 1884. He called it the Gravity Pleasure Switchback Railway. It was pretty mild by today's standards. Standing only 50 feet tall, 600 feet long, and was able to go about 10 miles per hour. Riders boarded the bench-like seats in small cars and coasted to the bottom on rolling hills, and then repeated the journey in the opposite direction. Now, you have to understand, while this seems slow and small now, this was something that had never been seen in the city before. This ride wasn't for royals or tourists. This ride was for everyday New Yorkers who were spending a day at the beach eating hot dogs. And you know what? It turns out hot dogs and roller coasters are a perfect match because the ride was an immediate success. Success always brings copycats and soon rival builders were coming out with designs of their own, each a little bigger and faster than the last. As crazy as it sounds, in just a few months, two more coasters appeared at Cody Island right by LaMarcus. But while his rivals were focused on making their rides higher and faster, Thompson had a new idea. What if a ride didn't just take you from here to there as fast as possible? What if it took you from here to there into a different world altogether? He began working with tunnels, lights, and scenery to make the riders feel like they were traveling to different lands without ever leaving New York City. His first train ride to another land, or scenic railway, opened in 1888 with great success, leading him to form a new company dedicated to building scenic railways around the world. Each version of his rides were more elaborate than the last, and each had more and more visuals. And while others were always right behind trying to copy him, no one could ever catch up to him. LaMarcus was too special, too visionary. In a matter of years, he built over 50 rides, but it was in Venice, California, where he had his greatest success. Opened in 1910, the Venice Beach Scenic Railway ran through artificial hills covered in lights and past replicas of temples and foreign lands. To ride it was a magical experience that inspired the rides that you now find at Disney parks today. Wow! So, while LaMarcus may not have been the inventor of the original roller coaster, he was the one who brought it to the masses and showed them the magic that a ride was capable of. Without LaMarcus, there would be no Disneyland or Universal Studios, and the world wouldn't be as fun as it is today. That's why LaMarcus will forever be known as the father of gravity. Oh, hi there. It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat, beaming into your ears all the way from Pflugerville. 
You might know me as Lucy Wow's sidekick, but I do more than kick sides. I eat tin cans. <laughs> I invent things like the tin can sandwich, and I host a podcast about my favorite subject. No, no, not tin cans. <laughs> my favorite subject is invention. I love invention. I study inventions. I dream about inventions. My goodness, I am an invention. That's right, Lucy Wow invented me, which just goes to show inventions can come in all forms. You can invent a mechanical pygmy goat. You can invent a tin can sandwich. You can invent a tradition, like today's invention. The Christmas stocking. It's my tradition to eat Christmas stockings as a delicious holiday dessert. But for most people, a Christmas stocking is an empty sock or sock-shaped bag that is hung up before Christmas so that Santa Claus can fill it with small gifts after he shimmies down the chimney. These small gifts are often called stocking stuffers. And of course, it's only good kids who get them. Naughty kids get a stocking full of coal. But none of those kids listen to this podcast. Now, while this is undoubtedly a fun tradition, and it's celebrated in homes across the globe, you have to admit, it's kind of weird. I mean, of all things to hang on the wall or to put toys in, why a sock? Socks are for feet, not for treats. So who invented this tradition in the first place? Let's take a look. The tradition of the Christmas stocking starts with a man named Nicholas, or Nick if you're cool. <laughs> Nick, the story goes, lived in a village where there was a family without enough money to support their daughters. Nick wanted to help because he was a cool dude, but Nick knew that the girl's parents wouldn't accept his charity. So one night, Nick decided to help the girls out in secret. After dark, he sneaked outside their house and threw three bags of gold through an open window. Wow! Now, this is the amazing part. These bags of gold flew through the window and landed in three stockings, which were hanging by the fireplace. You see, the girls had been out in the snow earlier and their socks had gotten wet and they had hung them to dry by the fire. When the girls and their parents woke up the next morning, they found the bags of gold in the stockings and were super stoked. This was one of many acts of kindness Nick performed. After all, cool people do kind things. Then, because of all his cool kindness, years after his passing, Nick was made a saint. Saint Nicholas, or Saint Nick if you're cool. They even gave him his own holiday in December. Legend is, on his holiday, his spirit goes around delivering gifts. Does uh, any of this sound familiar? Sure it does. Saint Nick is another name for Santa Claus. <laughs> now, just as a guy named Nick evolved into Santa Claus, the stocking ritual has evolved a lot from that legendary night where gold found its way into a wet sock. You see, originally, kids just used one of their everyday socks. But eventually, someone realized that a dirty sock on the wall wasn't very nice to look at. And if you get candy from St. Nick, it ended up tasting like a dirty sock, which sounds tasty to me. But I know humans are picky. So people started making special Christmas stockings that would look better and taste less like feet. 
then people realized that the bigger the stocking, the bigger the stocking stuffers. So people started to use larger and larger stockings. Today, many people use boot-sized stockings with the name of a person, or pet, or a goat sidekick, so not, so that Santa will know which stocking belongs to which family member. After all, if Lucy's stocking gets filled with my tin cans, she won't be that excited. Of course, not all of us know how to sew a name on a sock or even wear socks. So stores now sell a variety of styles and sizes of Christmas stockings. You can get a stocking that's pink or that's Star Wars themed or even Hanukkah themed for people who want to celebrate a different holiday via footwear. Personally, mine is goat themed and not too big because I like giving gifts more than getting them. Also, I like to eat it in a single bite for a treat, which might seem weird now, but who knows? Maybe one day it will be a tradition. Hello, dear citizen of the world, I'm Guy Neville. Or perhaps you know me better by my superhero name, guy o protector of Flugerville. People often say to me, guy o I want to be just like you, but I don't have any awesome superpowers. You know what? They're wrong. Everyone has superpowers, even you. You have the power of imagination, the power of creation, and the power of invention. And with powers like these, you can change the world. And let me tell you, it's a good thing that everyone has superpowers because there's a lot of places to protect. I protect Pflugerville, Batman protects Gotham, and Spider-Man protects New York. But what about space? As humankind spends more and more time in the cosmos, the need for cosmic heroes Rose. Luckily, there's a whole organization dedicated to trekking through the stars, exploring strange new worlds, and seeking out new life and civilizations. The organization boldly goes where no one has gone before and protects freedoms and good throughout the galaxy and beyond. Born in the Star Trek universe, the organization is called the United Federation of Planets or just the Federation. The Federation has a lot of spaceships. But the most famous is the USS Enterprise, often referred to as the Starship Enterprise. And while the people on the Starship Enterprise are heroic to the core, it's often their super inventions that get the job done. Which brings us to today's invention, The Transporter. Beam me up, Scotty. Transporters are a machine that allow a person to go from one place to the other in the blink of an eye. We call this teleportation. Transporters allow for teleportation by converting a person or object into an energy pattern, a process called dematerialization, then sending or beaming it to a target location where it is turned back into a solid person or object. Rematerialization. Okay, but how does this bad boy work in simple terms? Well, first you go and stand on a platform, then a blue beam of light surrounds you, then you disappear, only to reappear at the location programmed in the transporter's computer. Got it? Ooh. <laughs> Good. 
Now, the length of a typical transport is between 2 and 2.5 seconds, and has a range of 40,000 kilometers, or 25,000 miles, which is the distance of a trip around the Earth. Wow! Obviously, there's a lot of science behind the transporter, so let's go over it real quick. Heisenberg compensators remove uncertainty from the subatomic measurements, making transporter travel feasible. Transporters use a computer pattern buffer to enable a degree of leeway in the process. Ho <laughs> ho, yeesh! That was all pretty complicated, wasn't it? That's Star Trek for you, so I'll go ahead and make it a bit simpler by quoting Star Trek technical advisor, Michael Okuda. When Michael was asked, how does the Heisenberger compensator work? He said simply, it works very well, thank you. Haha, <laughs> I like his style. Now, because it works very well, transporter travel is the most reliable and safe way to travel in the Federation. It's super common. In fact, Starfleet Academy cadets have been known to use it not only to get around, but to move furniture into their new pad. Despite its frequent use and its record for safety, there are some Federation members, like Leonard McCoy, who don't like to use it. They simply don't like the idea of a machine turning them into floating shapeless matter and they don't trust the machine to put them back together again. And the truth is, they aren't totally wrong. I mean, transporters don't always work perfectly. Thick layers of rock can reduce its range, so don't try to transport through a planet if you don't have to. And it's not just rocks. Transporter operations have been disrupted by dense metals, solar flares, and other forms of radiation, including electromagnetic and nucleonic, and affected by eon storms. Plus, if the computer makes a mistake, you could end up transported to the wrong place and surrounded by angry Klingons. Uh-oh. So no, it's not 100% safe. But then again, neither is my motorbike or Lucy's bathtub car. It's always a good idea to respect any form of travel and be as safe as possible. So when you hop in a car, buckle up. And when you hop in a transporter, Bring your phaser gun. Speaking of Klingons, the villains of the Federation, they have their own transporters. Klingon transporters have a harsh red light in contrast to Federation blue and operate with complete silence to help them pull off sneak attacks on innocent people. You see, in the hands of Klingons, the transporter is super bad and sends violence and villains silently to your door. While in the hands of the Federation, the transporter is super good and sends help and heroes to where they're needed. Showing yet again that a tool of invention, even if they're super, are only as good or bad as the person who uses them. Just like your superpowers of invention and imagination. So make sure when you use your powers, just like the Federation, you do in the name of peace and kindness. That way we can all live long and prosper. Well, folks, we've come to the end of another Guy Neville's Power of Super Invention podcast. Come back next week when I'll be covering more super inventors and super inventions. And while you're waiting, you do realize there are just a slew of shows that take place in Pflugerville, right? It's true. There's Bobby Wonder, who's trying to protect Pflugerville from Mighty Bila, and Lucy Wow over in the Big Red Barn, inventing all sorts of cool stuff with her mechanical pygmy goat, Kapow. Lucy goes big, and then she goes bigger. Oh, and if you like strange and spooky stories, you should check out R.L. Stein's Story Club. That's a real winner. 
I'm in the club, so I get to hear all the stories. And you can too. Just uh, keep on the lights, folks. Just search for Bobby Wonder, Lucy Wow, or R.L. Stein Story Club, wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find your way. And don't forget, Friday's Listener Mailbag. If you've got a question about the world of Go Kid Go shows, Pflugerville, or little old me, send it to guy at gokidgo.com. You might get your question read live on the show. It's very exciting. Have yourself an inventive day. Make something, build something, go big, and then go bigger. Until next time, this is Guy Omedic signing off. Go, kid, go! Go, kid, go!